0: The Da Da Dada da Code by Robert Rankin Chapter 16 And you really believe that this is going to work. Mr. Giggles' voice had a certain heightened quality to it, and for those dubiously gifted with the ability to see Mr. Giggles, it was to be observed that there was also a certain agitation, and indeed animation, going on with him. It is a work of genius, if I do say so myself. Johnny Hooker spoke from the corner of his mouth, In a whispered manner, spoke he, because Johnny was back in the park rangers' hut. It was clocking off time now, 5.30 of the afternoon clock, and those who had the appropriate cards to clock off with, Johnny's, apparently, well, according to Johnny, must have been held up in the post somewhere, were doing the said clocking off. And Johnny was viewing his face in a Regency wall mirror with beveled plate and gadrooned frame. Work of genius he said once more as he cocked his head from side to side and viewed. What was to be seen of his face wasn't much, and the much there was of it was not of sufficient muchness as to elicit recognition. Even, it must be said, by the mother who bore him and who had loved him for much of the subsequent time. Johnny's face was a cockeyed quilt of elastoplast dressings. What exactly did you say happened to you? asked Ranger Connor. Allergy, said Johnny, turning to smile with the visible bit of his mouth. Allergy to grass. It will calm down in a week or so. Allergy? Ranger Connor said this in a sniffy kind of tone. I frankly despair for your generation. In my day, no one ever had allergies. Polio we had, and diphtheria, and we were grateful for it. But all this namby-pambying about these days? Lactose intolerant? Anorexic? Obsessive-compulsive? And what's that one where the school kids go bouncing off the walls and have to be subdued with Ritalin? Attention deficit disorder said Ranger Hotry. Stuff and bally nonsense, said Ranger Connor. A good clip around the ear with the business end of a seven-league boot is what they need. Seven-league boot? said Johnny. Drug companies employ special experts whose role it is to discover all these new syndromes and give them catchy titles so that the drug companies can cure them with expensive drugs that they just happen to have prepared in advance and are ready for marketing. Actually, I quite like that said Ranger Hawtrey, As a conspiracy theory, that satisfies on so many different levels. It's the truth I'm telling you, said Ranger Connor. I thought you said it was the way it seemed to you, said Ranger Hawtrey. Same thing. It's just in the way you say it. I'm still a bit confused about the seven-league boots, said Johnny, but an explanation can wait until tomorrow. Not coming to the middleman for a pint, then, said Ranger Connor. To celebrate your first day on the job, Johnny pointed to his face. Maybe next week, then. You, Ranger Autry? Sadly, no, said that ranger. I'm off to see my brother. The loony or the castrato? Castrato, said Johnny. Ah, said Ranger Hawtrey, I neglected to mention my other brother. Castrato? I'd really rather not talk about it, if you don't mind. I don't, said Johnny. So, shall we depart? I'll walk along with you on your way to the hospital. Cheers said Ranger Hadry. I'll go down to the pub on my own, then, said Ranger Connor. It's quiz night tonight, and I am feeling quietly confident that I will win. How so? Johnny asked. Because I intend to cheat. But only in the spirit of healthy competition. I hope you understand that. Seven league boots, said Johnny. Exactly. As it was such a nice early evening, and he was in no particular hurry, Johnny did not drive to the cottage hospital in the stolen Chrysler. Instead, he strolled in the company of Ranger Hotry, And it was a very nice stroll, too. There was a police presence at the cottage hospital. There was much in the way of do-not-cross tape, ringing the entrance around, and the parked cars had their roof lights flashing to maximum effect. A crowd of onlookers were onlooking. Police constables, some armed with lightsabers and death rays, were keeping the crowd back behind the tape. Not more trouble, I hope? Johnny said to Charlie. Let's see said Charlie, and he nudged his way into the crowd. "'Look where you're nudging, young man,' said a lady in a straw hat. "'Some of us have been here for hours. You can't just come nudging through.' "'So sorry,' said Charlie. "'What is happening? Do you know?' The lady in the straw hat gave her nose a conspiratorial tapping. "'That's for me to know, and you to find out,' she said. "'I could probably find out if you told me,' said Charlie. "'That's true enough,' said the lady.' but such information is only granted on a strictly need-to-know basis. "'I need to know,' said Charlie. "'My brother's in there. "'The loony one or the castrato?' "'Huh?' went Charlie. "'What and who?' "'Don't mind me,' said the lady in the straw hat. "'I get these flashes in my head. "'It's my holy guardian angel, I believe. "'That, or bury the time sprout.' "'So what is going on?' asked Johnny, who had nudged himself level with Charlie. "'Cut yourself shaving?' asked the lady in the straw hat. Leprosy, said Johnny. I'm highly contagious. That's why I need to get into the hospital. Leprosy, said the lady. I don't know what the younger generation is coming to. Rickets and fossey jaw not good enough for you? I caught elephantitis in the Belgian Congo back in the 1950s. I was running with the rebels then, fighting for the cause with cheat. Don't drink out of the puddles, they told me. But did I listen? Johnny shrugged. No, said the lady. I did not. So, my legs ballooned out like two tracksuit bottoms, stuffed up to the crotch regions with pickled shallots. They had to ship me back to Blighty in two separate consignments. Nasty, said Johnny. Nasty indeed, said the lady. So, don't think to impress me with your talk of leprous sores. I've wept mucus from places where you don't even have places. What is going on in the hospital? asked Charlie. Some loony's had his head chopped off, said the lady. And Charlie looked at Johnny. My brother, said Charlie going all pale in the face. "'Don't jump to conclusions,' said Johnny. "'Some other loony, you suppose?' "'I'm sure there's plenty to choose from.' "'There was only the two, said the lady. "'The special ones.' "'The two? said Charlie. "'The special ones?' said Johnny. "'That's what I heard,' said the lady. "'I heard from a friend of mine, who is the dinner lady on the special wing, that all the other loonies had been cleared out months ago because, according to her, who had overheard two interns chatting,' Something had been discovered that was going to change everything, and the two remaining loonies were the key to it. Or something like that. Mind you, she's rarely fully coherent. She's got satellite TV, and you know what that means. Johnny nodded slowly. No, he said. Beams and rays from the satellite dish into the head, said the lady. I always cross myself when I pass a house with a satellite dish on it. On the off chance that mankind is the work of a divine creator rather than simply the product of the selfish gene or the swinging sixties, you can never be too sure of yourself in my opinion. It's always best to adopt a belt and braces approach to life whilst applying Occam's razor, of course. Of course, said Johnny. I have to get into the hospital, said Charlie. You'd best have an accident then, said the lady. No need, said Charlie. And then he took Johnny by the shoulders and took to shouting. "'Make way there, please. Casualty coming through. Burn's victim. Make way, please.' Of course no one did make way. "'Leper!' cried Johnny. "'Come for my medication.' And, but for the lady in the straw hat, who had once caught elephantitis by drinking from a muddy puddle in the Belgian Congo whilst running with the rebels in the company of Chi, the onlookers did make way to Charlie. "'Hello, Joan,' said Charlie. "'I didn't know you worked here.' The constables, too, stood aside." Careful as you go there, sir, said one. I wouldn't want you nudging my trigger finger and have me setting off this doomsday weapon that I'm holding in my hand. I don't recall telling you to break out the doomsday weapons yet, said a senior officer. Return it to the munitions vans this minute and re-equip yourself with a phase plasma rifle in 40-watt range. Johnny did limpings and Charlie aided him towards casualty. There were a great many medics in the waiting room of casualty, and a great many policemen, too and all in sundry were jabbering away, and no one seemed particularly interested in Johnny or Charlie. A lady sat behind the admissions desk. She was not wearing a straw hat, but she did look familiar. I do evenings, said Joan, and I'm prepared to travel if necessary. If there's a desk to sit behind that is not already occupied, then I'll sit behind it. Splendid, said Charlie. Are you referring to my breasts? I wasn't, said Charlie, but they are splendid. Why, thank you very much. Can I help you at all, or have you just come here to gop at my breasts? I wasn't gopping," said Charlie. I was, said Johnny. You both were, said Joan. But it's acceptable because I am not on duty at the park, so technically we are not working together. So what do you want? Charlie scratched at his cap. My brother is an, er, uh, inmate here, he said. One of the two patients in the special wing. I've come to visit but I've just heard that one of the two inmates has been murdered. Please tell me that it isn't my brother. It isn't your brother, said Joan. Praise be, said Charlie. In fact, it wasn't either of the special cases. It was a different loony altogether, an escaped loony, the one who escaped last night. He returned here for some unaccountable, but no doubt loony reason and got into a spot of bother with a constable who was on duty here, guarding the crime scene where Dr. Archie was murdered. There was some kind of altercation, and the constable shot his head off with a Prozac. Do you mean a projac Charlie asked. A science fiction-type weapon favored by Kurth Gerson and Jack Vance's legendary Star King series? Perhaps, said Joan. But being a woman, I am unlikely to admit being wrong. Nor indeed to reading science fiction. I'm confused, said Johnny. An escaped loony? "'But I thought there were only two loonies on this ward.' "'I don't make the rules,' said Joan. "'All I know is that it was an escaped loony who returned, "'the one who killed Dr. Archie. "'His name was Johnny Hooker.' Chapter 17 "'Now you're confused,' said Mr. Giggles, the monkey boy. "'You're more confused than a pantomime horse "'with two back ends and no snout.' "'Horses don't have snouts,' whispered Johnny. "'All God's children got snouts,' sang Mr. Giggles." Time we were off. I'm thinking. Time we were off, I'm thinking. Absolutely not. Sorry, said Joan from behind the desk. Did you say something? Were you undressing me with your eyes? And have you cut yourself shaving? Not on all three accounts, said Johnny. What have they done with the corpse of this Johnny Hooker? Some special unit took it away. Chaps in environmental suits, in a white van, with scientific support printed on the sides. They erected an adventure playground for the kiddies. "'What kitties?' asked Charlie. "'Manners,' said Joan. "'A lady is talking. "'Don't butt in.' "'Sorry,' said Charlie. "'They took the corpse away. "'And the adventure playground?' Joan shook her head and tut-tut-tutted. "'We're beyond that now.' Charlie gave his head a scratch. "'Do you know a lady who wears a straw hat?' he asked. "'My mum wears a straw hat,' said Joan. "'I'm sorry,' said Johnny. "'But I remain confused.' How did they identify this corpse as being that of Johnny Hooker? She said, This is a corpse we're talking about. Don't go carping back to adventure playgrounds. Behave like a man. Buy his clothes and buy his wallet. Ah, said Johnny. So what have you done to your face? asked Joan. And also, who are you? You're wearing a park ranger's uniform, but I've never seen you before. You must have caught a glimpse of me earlier at the big house, said Johnny. Please don't contradict me. I find it so confusing. I'd really like to see my brother, said Charlie, if it would be if it would be all right. I'm sure all this unpleasantness must have upset him. I doubt that, said Joan, with the amount of pharmaceuticals he's dosed up on. How do you know about that? Because it's my job to keep him topped up when the doctors slip out to the pub. Charlie sighed. And Johnny sighed with him, to keep him company, so to speak, or offer support, or whatever. Can I please see my brother? Asked Charlie. Of course you may, as it's you. It's outside the normal visiting hours, but I will make an exception, as it's you. And Joan did eyelash flutterings at Charlie. As it's me? Asked Charlie. I think, said Johnny. Let him work it out in his own time, said Joan. Oh, said Charlie, and he took to smiling a lot. Don't get carried away with yourself, said Joan. I'd expect at the very least to be taken out to dinner first. Right, said Charlie. Where would you like to eat? What time do you get off? Oi, said Johnny. We have business to conduct here. We? said Joan. I'm with him, said Johnny. Come to see his brother. Well, my brother too, as it happens. I'm Charlie's brother. Yes, said Charlie. That's right. He is. Joan glanced Johnny up and down. The Castrato? She asked. They were given special visitors' badges. Special visitors' badges to admit them to the special wing. They were sort of laminated. They had the words special visitor printed on the cards that were within the laminate, although there really wasn't anything particularly special about them. Except, of course, that they did gain you entry to the special wing outside of visiting hours, which was a bit special, but not much. Special badge said Charlie, giving his an approving stroke. I do like a special badge, me. Or a backstage pass. Now that's really special, a backstage pass. Come and see me play, said Johnny. I'm in a band, Dry Rot. We're playing on Friday at the Middleman. We weren't going to be playing, due to me being wanted by the police. But as I'm no longer wanted, on account of me being dead, I suppose we will be playing on Friday. I'll give you a backstage pass if you want. So I can come backstage? Well, if there was a backstage, but as we're playing at the middleman, the backstage is the gents' toilet. But the pass will enable you to use it. Brilliant, said Charlie. Tragic, said Mr. Giggles. They strode along a corridor. Here and there they passed constables who carried improbable weapons of the futuristic persuasion. My brother's room is along this way, said Charlie. Do try not to look too surprised when you see inside it. Why? asked Johnny. "'What exactly is in it?' "'Aha,' said Charlie. "'We're here.' A police constable stood on guard before the door to Charlie's brother's abode. The police constable was not armed, but he was a master of the Vulcan death grip. "'Stand away from the door, sir,' he told Charlie, "'or I will be forced to maim and disfigure you with little more than a fingertip's pressure.' Charlie whistled. "'Dymac?' he inquired. "'Amongst many other martial skills.' "'Have you ever heard the expression, there's more than one way to skin a cat?' "'More than once,' said Charlie. "'Well, I know seven different ways, and I could knock the skin off a rice pudding by sheer willpower alone.' "'You'd be a bad man to cross in a fight, then,' said Johnny. "'The worst,' said the constable, "'because not only am I skilled in all these martial arts, I'm also just aching to use them on some unsuspecting individual who gets my back up over some trivial matter.' "'Didn't I say that martial artists are always looking for an excuse to do that?' asked Johnny of Charlie. "'Or was it you?' "'It might have been me,' said Charlie. "'But since I met you, I no longer appear to be able to keep a firm grip on reality, brightly manner, or suffer the consequences in the form of badly broken bones that will take months to knit, and then not too successfully.' "'So,' said the constable, "'away on your toes in a sprightly manner.' In a sp- "'We have special visitors' badges,' said Johnny." We've come to visit the patient in this room. We don't use the P word here, said the constable. Here we call a loony a loony, or at least I do. And frankly, who other than a superior officer is liable to argue with me? Not me, for one, said Johnny. So can we go in, please? Of course, said the constable. A pleasure to talk to you. I do trust that we will meet again sometime, under more violent circumstances. Yes, said Johnny. I do hope so. Are you being sarcastic? Absolutely not, said Johnny. Shame, said the constable. He slid back a bolt, the constable did, and he pushed the cell door open. For such indeed it was. A cell. There's no bandying about it in mental wards and in isolation rooms. An isolation room is a cell. A padded one, generally. And they smell of disinfectant. Of bleach and that certain hospital smell. It's a frightening smell. It stays in your nostrils. Johnny smelled that smell as the cell door opened. Johnny had smelled that smell before, on far too many occasions. And one of them far too recent. Charlie's brother was as Charlie, for he was an identical twin. Which perhaps was a little surprising to Johnny, as Charlie had not thought to mention that his older brother was his twin. Johnny followed Charlie into the cell, the cell that smelled of that certain smell. Then Johnny smelled more and he saw more also, as one will when one enters a new room for the first time and the views are unexpected. Johnny's jaw hung slack, and Johnny gaped in awe. Charlie said, Johnny, this is my brother. The constable, who was skilled in martial arts, slammed shut the cell door and slid the bolt home. Johnny looked towards Charlie's brother, and therefore older by little more than a few minutes. But, perhaps, as surprising as this was to Johnny, It was not, as it were, the thing that surprised him the most, and had his jaw hanging slack and his mouth all gaping wide. This thing was another thing altogether. This thing was the fact that Charlie's identical twin brother was not anchored to the floor of his cell by the force of gravity, as one might reasonably expect. Charlie's identical twin sat in the lotus position, floating three feet above the floor. As the draft from the closing door caught him, he fluttered like a leaf on a breeze, and fair put the wind up Johnny. Smoke and mirrors, said Mr. Giggles, seen it all at the music hall. Johnny mouthed the words, shut up now, but did not speak them aloud. My brother, Harry," said Charlie. Hari, this is my friend, David, David Chickatine." I don't think there's any need for that, said Johnny. I'm very pleased to meet you, Harry. My name is Johnny Hooker. Johnny edged a little closer to the floater and put out a tentative hand for a shake but it was only a tentative hand, as there was this fellow, stabilized somewhat now, but still clearly hovering in the air. I, went Johnny, I really don't know what to say. Give me a minute, please. The arms of Hari were folded over his chest. These arms he now unfolded and stretched wide, clicking his neck and giving a bit of a yawn. And then he uncrossed his legs and extended these to the floor of the cell, and all at once he was standing. It wasn't so much the voices that put Hari in here, said Charlie. And he shook Harry's hand and gave him a bit of a brotherly hug. It was his constant law-breaking. The law of gravity, said Harry. Never could be having with it. Wished like crazy to try and break it. Tried like crazy. And, as the old saying goes, if at first you don't succeed, you must be doing it wrong. Johnny Hooker shook his head and gave a whistle, too. You really were floating in the air, weren't you? he said. I mean, that was really real? Really real, said Charlie's identical twin. But I suppose you could say that it's a bit of a cheat. So it is smoke and mirrors. No, I simply found that the only way I could float in the air, fly, in fact, was to do it the same way you do. I don't do it at all, said Johnny. Oh, I think you do. Nearly all of us do. In our dreams, said Johnny. Precisely. Johnny Hooker shook his head again. But I'm not dreaming now, he said, which is why you can't fly. You are awake, and so you cannot dream that you are flying. I, however, am asleep, and so I can. That doesn't make any sense, said Johnny. I'm awake, and I'm asleep, somewhere away from here, all tucked up in my cozy little cot. He's a stone bonker, said Mr. Giggles. Good levitation stunt, though. You are in your cozy little cot, said Johnny, and I'm five years old. What a queer dream this is. Ah, said Johnny. And please don't ah me, said Hari. I am not a stone bonker. You saw me hovering in the air, did you not? I think I did, said Johnny. Oh, it's think you did now, is it? You know you did, so don't go trying to fool yourself that you didn't. And if the only way a man can fly, if that man is not Superman, is when he's dreaming, then one of us is now dreaming the other. I think you must agree. Well, said Johnny, don't take any guff from this swine, said Mr. Giggles, which rang a bell somewhere. He's trying to tie you up in knots. As you're presently into violence, kick him in the nuts. That will prove which one of you is awake. So, said Harry. am I dreaming you or are you dreaming me? Nuts, said Mr. Giggles, one in the nuts, then off on our way. I am perplexed, said Johnny, as are we all. Come sit yourself down. Let us talk to toot and see which way the blighter goes. Thank you. And Johnny sat down. Not there, said Harry. And so Johnny moved. Nor there either. Here? Not there. How about here? There's good, said Harry. But the other places weren't. I see them, you see, like smears upon a spectacle lens. Where you're sitting now is a good place. It suits you. I'm sitting on the seat of your lavatory, said Johnny. I'm beginning to warm to this clown, said Mr. Giggles. But I still feel you should kick him in the nuts. And you're really comfortable there, said Hari. And he made enigmatic hand-wavings. Actually, I'm not, said Johnny. Yes, you are. You're really comfortable. Hari waved his hands about some more, but Johnny shook his head. Damn it, said Hari. The constable on the door, who is skilled in the Vulcan death grip, sold me a in there. Rongan? Johnny inquired. A course in Jedi mind control. He said he'd downloaded it off the interweeb. Johnny smiled painfully. That wasn't very funny, he said. No. Harry cozied himself upon his bunk. He stretched out his legs and waggled his big toes. For, as with most loonies, he went barefoot. And as now there was nowhere but for the floor for Charlie to sit, Charlie stood. Johnny's been involved in all kinds of exciting adventures, said Charlie to his brother. And he wanted to meet you. And about time, too said Harry, I have been awaiting his arrival. You have? said Johnny. He hasn't, said Mr. Giggles. I might have been, said Harry. I await the arrival of so many people. Members of Parliament, members of the Royal Household. Are you a member of anything? I'm in a band, said Johnny. I'm a musician. Ah, said Harry. A musician. That must be it. So, who sent you? Project Beta, the Ministry of Serendipity? The Sons of the Silent Age? MJ-12? MJ-13? The Minge Tree Appreciation Society? There isn't really a Minge Appreciation Society, is there? Johnny asked. No, but there should be. So why are you here? I'm caught up in something, said Johnny. I don't know exactly what, but it does somehow have something to do with music. Of this, I'm sure. And people are apparently dying because I've got caught up in it. Or so it seems to me. And I'm determined to find out what it is and solve whatever it is, and if there's a prize at the end of it, then so much the better. All sounds terribly vague, said Charlie's brother. Well, when you put it like that, I suppose it does. But I know what I mean, and whatever it is I'm involved in is terribly exciting and is making me feel alive for possibly the first time in my life. Hari Hatri rolled onto his side and fixed his gaze upon Johnny. You've got demons, haven't you, Johnny? Demons and imps. Is that it? One in particular, said Johnny. Easy now, please, Johnny boy, said Mr. Giggles. Your brother was telling me about the voices you hear, Johnny said. And he does take them seriously. He wears tinfoil inside his cap. Wearing it now, said Charlie, tapping at his cap. But you're not wearing any tinfoil, said Johnny to Charlie's brother. I wear it when I'm awake. But what is it you want to know? What is it that you think I know? Anything, said Johnny. Anything and everything. Anything that you know or believe. No, said Charlie's brother. You're not ready for that. Not yet. I'll tell you some, said Harry. I'll tell you some if you promise to do me a favor in return. Then I'll tell you something. As you are a musician, I will tell you something of a musical nature. Have you ever heard of a musician by the name of Robert Johnson? Johnny nodded. Many times, said he. And so you've heard about his final recording. His thirtieth, said Johnny. The one with the devil's laughter at the end. Allegedly. Apocalypse Blues, it was called. You know that? I am impressed. I only found out today, said Johnny. But I think it's part of the something I'm caught up in. And so, you must have heard the urban legend that all those rock stars who died aged 27 did so because they were played the recording of the devil's laughter. Johnny nodded once more. And so did you hear the other legend? The one that balances it, so to speak? Johnny Hooker shook his head. Go on, please, he said. About the angel, said Harry. The angel and the castrato. Johnny Hooker raised an eyebrow. Is this about your brother? It seems to be something of an open secret, said Charlie, shrugging away like a good'un. Well, it's not him, said Harry. Although there is a connection. The name of this castrato was Alessandro Morsky. He was born in Monte... He was born in Monte Compatrio in 1858 and died in 1922. He was reckoned to be the very last castrato. During his professional life as a soloist with the Vatican Choir, he was known as the Angel of Rome because his voice was the very epitome of polyphonic purity. He was the only castrato ever to make recordings and these were made just after the turn of the 20th century. I've never really understood about castrati, said Johnny. What was the point? Purity of tone. During the golden age of castrati, between 1650 and 1750, it was reckoned that as many as 4,000 boys a year were being castrated in Italy, their impoverished parents hoping that these unhappy lads would find fame and fortune. And there was much fortune to be had for the few who made it to the top. The idea was to preserve the high-pitched voice of the child, and when the voice was projected by adult-sized lungs, it produced a sound so beautiful that audiences were known to collapse in tears. Morsky was the last of his kind, and fate it must surely have been that he lived into the 20th century, into a time when his extraordinary voice could be recorded upon wax cylinders. There were 18 recordings made at the Vatican, and you can even buy a cleaned-up digitally enhanced version on CD. But there's one recording that isn't on that CD. Morsky singing Handel's Ombra Mai Fu." It is said that his voice was so beautiful, so pure, so heavenly, that folk weep when they hear that recording. But they do more than weep, because so sweet was the voice of Morsky, so heavenly in fact, that as he sang, his voice reached up to heaven, and an angel descended to earth and joined him in the final chorus, and that is on the recording. Johnny Hooker shook his head slowly, and with thought. And do you think that's true? He asked. True? Harry Hawtrey smiled. Yes, I think it's true. But then I would, because I have heard that recording. Really? Johnny Hooker said. Really, truly, truly? And I soared, said Harry. I soared, and I glowed, and I was filled with the spirit. And as Johnny looked on, and Charlie looked on, "'Hari became transfigured. "'He glowed as if lit from within, "'and he drifted up from the floor. "'And with this,' he said, "'and his voice came as a wind from his mouth, "'with the hearing of this, "'and the hearing of an angel's voice, "'I heard a sound that no man may hear "'until he is called up into the choirs "'invisible upon his death. "'So the gifts were given unto me "'that I should hear the voices, "'the voices of the angels, "'but also the voices of the evil ones.' that I should hear them here in my head. And thus I became an outcast, ridiculed by men, a social pariah, a loony, doomed to live as a prisoner, thus and so. And Hari made the sign of the cross and drifted back to the floor. And relax, said Hari, and he settled back down onto his bunk. Wow, said Johnny. I mean, wow. Well, wow. And so well-wowed was Johnny that he ignored the contradictory nature and the candle glow dimmed all away and things turned somewhat quiet. Johnny Hooker suddenly gasped for air, aware that he had somehow forgotten to breathe of what Hari had previously said, that he was in the special wing because he flouted the law of gravity, yet wasn't in the special wing at all, and Johnny had just concentrated on the wow factor, because a recording of an angel's voice would have something of a wow factor. Charlie Hawtrey wiped away a tear. I always get a bit crinkly mouth when he tells that story, although I've heard it lots of times before. I give a moving account, said Hari, because he was really five years old and asleep in his bed somewhere. And so, that is that, and now you must do me the favor you promised me. Oh, yes, said Johnny. Yes, indeed, anything you want. Splendid, said Hari. It's not a big thing. I doubt if a young man such as yourself, bound upon a mission that may turn out to be sacred—well, you never know—would have much of a problem carrying it out. Name it, said Johnny. Bust me out of this prison cell, said Charlie's brother, Harry.